brother, I don't know what to do without all this clutter up here. <laughs> I can't find nothing. No, just joking. No, thank you for getting all that cleaned up. That's a blessing. All right, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. We're moving on in our study of systematic theology. We're still using, and I'm going to kind of adhere very close to today, his notes, but John Frame's uh, systematic theology um, has been our springboard by which we're trying to outline and talk about uh, theology. And uh, we have talked about God's moral attributes, His love, His goodness, His benevolence, His anger, His wrath, uh, things of that nature, His moral, His righteousness. Uh, We've talked about those. We've talked about His intellectual attributes. He is omniscient. He, He knows all things. And he's the foundation of all knowledge. We know nothing without him and his revelation of himself. Now we're going to move on to what John Frame here calls his power attributes. His attributes of power. We serve a mighty God. In fact, we would say repeatedly here, Uh, in Revelation, he is the Lord God Almighty. But here we have specifically some, some, uh, one word in Revelation 19, 6, and I heard as it were a voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of the mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. So his power attributes. So we've talked about his moral attributes, his intellectual attributes, now his power attributes. God is immense in his power. Let's look at several scriptures here uh, today. Uh, Psalm 24, uh, just just to give you a flavor, and I'm going to go through some of these that are simply listed by frame. where he says in verse 7 and 8, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. That is our King. He's described by His might. In the New Testament, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, we have the prayer here of Paul where he says, in verse, uh, starting in verse 18, the, the, he prays that the eyes of their understanding might be enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power. And it goes on to talk about all things being put under his feet. And then a couple chapters later in Ephesians chapter 3, we have again um, uh, the prayer of Paul for those at Ephesus, where he says, Now unto him that is able, verse 20, 320, Now unto him that is able 
to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or even think according to the power that works in us. Our God has power. In previous uh, lessons on this, we've talked about the attributes of His Lordship, and that is overall the theme of the Scriptures. And one of the attributes of His Lordship was this idea that He does indeed control all things. He is in control. And there is a, so there is a universality to His power, and we talked about in Providence how He, by His power, is worth. Not, not just by His power, but also by His wisdom, but by His power is working all things, not only in providence, but in creation and in our redemption. He is power, and it displays His wisdom, and it displays His might. Is this control idea of His Lordship, that He is the one indeed in control. And such power drives us to worship Him. We worship Him because He is the Lord God omnipotent, the Lord God that reigns. We worship Him because our God is mighty in His works. He displays His power in His Lordship, and it causes us to fall down before Him. And this is the, this is the tenor of the Scriptures. In, in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, um, I'll get over there. I'm just going to turn several places here. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 6. Here we have Jehoshaphat praying and he says and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen and thine hand is there and in thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee. So one thing when we talk about his power is we talk about the idea that nothing can frustrate our Lord's will. He's in control. He is sovereign in his power. Paul, uh, Job uh, prayed much the way, same way in Job 23 where he says, uh, well, let me go over there. Job 23 verse 13 I just started Job again in my reading. Uh, something we should read over every once in a while. Uh, or uh, Job 23, verse 13, Job says, But he is of one mind, and who can turn him? And what, is, what his soul desires, even that he does. And we looked at last week when we were considering uh, the intellectual attributes, that there is no wisdom, there is no counsel, there is no understanding that can be against the Lord, as it says in Proverbs 21, verse 30. Go to Isaiah 43, and I, we're just flipping through some places here. Isaiah 43, verse 13, where he says, Yea, before the Lord what before... Before the day was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let or hinder it? And again, we see again, uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, where he says, 
that none can turn our Lord, or uh, I'm paraphrasing, so I better just read it, what exactly he said. Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand and say to him, What dost thou? None can frustrate his power. Therefore, we use the word omnipotent. All power is his. In fact, when we talk about the powers of this world, we talk about it only in reference to the power that he gives to others. All power is of God, Romans chapter uh, 13. Uh, So not only can nobody subdue or resist him, but eventually his will will be seen to be ultimate. Uh, we, see, you, we see that in uh, Jesus' words when he was on his way to the cross and they were pleading with him and he says, do you not think that I could call 10,000 or 12 legions of angels uh, and, and so on? So his will could be done uh, so he can subdue anyone who resists him and eventually he will. Paul speaks of our God in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, where he says at the very end of that verse that he is able to subdue all things to himself. Uh, so, so this is the power. It's a power that cannot be resisted. It's a power that cannot be thwarted um, in any way, shape, or form. And he does not only... We have to think not only of the power of God as what He does, but He is able to do what seems impossible to us. All things are possible with God. Uh, for instance, John the Baptist, can speak, speaking of his God, can say, don't think to call, to, to call yourselves the children of Abraham. Uh, God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So that which is proverbially impossible is possible with God. Where he says in Hebrews 11, uh, 3, about our faith, that he is able to bring out, bring, well, my goodness, I used to have that memorized. Hebrews, James, Hebrews chapter uh, 11, verse 3 talks about our faith. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. He brings things to pass, even things that were not. And therefore we can come to Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 where we see all the things working together towards His end for the good of them that love God. So He is called not just righteously the Holy One of Israel, But he is often called, his name is the Mighty One of Israel. Uh, Many places we can look up, but Isaiah, just look at one where this title is constantly, one of many places where this title is constantly given to him. Isaiah chapter 1, uh, verse 24. Therefore says the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the Mighty One of Israel. Uh, so he is constantly given this title. Now, this title, uh, so we think of the names of God. We have, uh, we have uh, Yahweh, we have uh, Elohim, another name.
his designs, his intentions, his will. Or, praise the Lord, and where it talks about in Ephesians 1, the good will of his, the pleasure of his will. Uh, I, I got mixed that up a little bit. So, so omnipotence means he is able to do as he pleases. He does as he pleases. Omnipotence also means, when we're talking about omnipotence, it means nothing is too hard for him. Nothing is too hard for him. Aren't you glad to know that? <laughs> All right. Aren't you glad the scriptures bring that truth out with such clarity? Uh, literally, nothing is too hard for our God. What, so, what can God do? Not only can He do what He wants to do in point number one, but nothing is impossible with Him. Genesis 18, 14. We have the statement of God to Abraham, Genesis 18, verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And therefore he was able, the angel was able to turn and say at the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. I would say that it was impossible for a 90-year-old woman to bear a baby. <laughs> All right? But what was God's answer? What was the angel of the Lord? What was this theophany that spoke? Is anything too hard for the Lord? He says, uh, he says uh, um, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but later on in Isaiah, he's, is, the Lord hand, hand, is the Lord's hands slackened that it cannot save? They thought it would be impossible at that time for the Lord to save. And, he, and the Lord's answer was, his hand is not shortened. His hand is not slackened at all. Literally, going back here to Genesis 18, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there any matter, devar, matter, that cannot be done? And that's what the and this the same thing is echoed again in the New Testament in Matthew or Luke rather Luke 137 where we see that it is announced and I can't remember who exactly said it was the angel or Mary um, Luke 137 Luke 1 verse. Wow, that's a long chapter. 37. It's the angel. And when announcing to, announcing to Mary that she's going to have a child, what does he say? The same words that the angel spoke in Genesis. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. 
No matter is impossible with him. It wasn't. Here's another thing that shadows what I was talking about later in Isaiah. But Numbers 11:23, the Lord says to Moses, uh, there, uh, in Numbers 11:23. And the Lord said unto Moses, Is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. Now here we had something that was deemed impossible. What was deemed impossible? They wanted meat. How many of them were there? Around two million probably. <laughs> All right. Can you imagine if... Uh, when Jimmy and Juanita had their restaurant, if about two million people showed up wanting hamburgers, would you have been able to feed them? No. Even if you went, ran to every store in town that bought up all their hamburger, you couldn't have done it. To, you can't serve two. And he said, I'm going to feed them for a month, every day, with meat. And Moses said, how are you going to do that? And our God said... Is, how, how does it go? How does it go here again? Is, verse 23, is the Lord's hand waxed short? He can supply what seems to be impossible. The quest, so the question, is the Lord's hand shortened? It's a rhetorical question. Ascribing weakness to God is a contradiction to the nature of God. We should always be, when, can God do that? Well, can God do this? The answer is always, yes, He can. He can supply the need. He can make this thing that I think is impossible, possible. And we cannot ascribe in any way weakness to our God, inability to our God. That's why Job would later, in his suffering, once the revelation of God was made known to him, would say, Lord, you could do anything. There, there's no purpose of you that can, that, that, that can be overturned. God can do all things. And that's exactly what Christ asserted in Matthew 19, 27. And before Christ died upon the cross. How did he, Jesus pray in Mark 14, 36, where he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible to you. There is no weakness in God. There was no weakness in the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have these, we have these two ideas that make up our doctrine of omnipotence. He does as he pleases, and nothing is too hard for him. Now, we can simply just say it like this, our God can do anything. But what about the people who bring stuff up like, uh, doesn't your Bible say there's some things God cannot do? Uh, or you have uh, these snotty-nosed philosophers who 
took philosophy 101 in college and they come up to you wanting to talk about, well, can your God make a rock so big he couldn't lift it? All right. Uh, what, what, what about this? Can't, but what Does that contradict our doctrine of omnipotence? Well, let's, talk, let's spend about 10 minutes talking about this and then we'll be done. So when our God, what, what we mean though, when our God promises something that seems impossible, we have good warrant to believe that God will do it. Uh, what God says is always true, and what and God can do all things in that within that uh, perspective. And so the realm, I like how Frame says it here. He says the realm of possibility for God is wider than the realm of what He actually does. So. Um, or has done, the level of actuality. He can do all things. He can do more than we could ask or think. He can do more right now than he's already done. So what God cannot do? What do we mean by all things? That's going to require some interpretation here. And there's controversy. Well, we know that God cannot do certain things, like lying, our God cannot lie. Our God cannot steal. Our God cannot make another God any more than our God can make a square circle. Right? We can all agree with that. God can't lie. God can't make square circles. Or make a stone so big that he can't lift it. Is that a contradiction to omnipotence? Yes, sir. Yeah, so he's true, because he's true. And is, but the question is, is can that, does, people will say, oh, well, well, if you believe that God can't do that, then you don't believe in omnipotence. And let's, let's argue this point here. There are some classes of actions that God cannot perform. And is that a denial of, of uh, omnipotence? Well, God cannot, let's go to, oh, where is it at? I thought I had it written down. This book's going to be worthless by the time I'm done with it because i got a thousand notes in it. 2 Timothy 2. This is what Jimmy was just alluding to here. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'll get there eventually. All the T's go together. They're all in alphabetical order. Two thirteen. If we believe not, he abides faithful. He cannot. God cannot deny himself. Now, this is mentioning what uh, Jimmy just talked about. How this is related to his covenant. He keeps covenant with thousands. He cannot do that which is logically, he cannot contradict himself. His actions will not and cannot logically contradict him. Uh, um, 
like I said, he can't make a square circle. Why? Because if it's a square, it's not a circle. If it's a circle, it's not a square. And, and, and why is that so? He can't make a rope with only one end. <laughs> why? Because that, those, are, those are things that are logically impossible. Now, the question is, is why are those things logically impossible? They're logically impossible because our God is logical and rational. In fact, logic and rationality do not exist if our God does not exist. He's the ground of it. There's a reason why 2 plus 2 equals 4. Because our God is logical and rational. And He cannot contradict His very nature. So He's not making square circles. He's not making round triangles. Uh, Because the laws of logic are not something He created, a nominalist idea. They're not laws that are above Him. They are an expression of His very nature. And He cannot deny himself it may be fairly described can you fairly describe this as a lack of power him not being able to make square circles or one-ended ropes no let me give you for instance how many of you all are completely consistent at all times with yourself you ever contradict yourself no matter how silent, you, you, can, you can get out Aristotle and you can read every, beginning to end all of his works and you're going to find Aristotle could not be consistent. He couldn't. You can get out Thomas Aquinas and you can read all through his Summa Theologia and you'll find Thomas could not be consistent. Or, we, or you can examine everything I've preached for however long I've been preaching and you want to know what you're going to find? I'm pretty inconsistent. Why? That's a weakness in me. Do you know what you'll never find in God? Inconsistency. You never will. Because He's the ground of truth. His very nature informs us what is true. So is that, is me saying He can't make square circles uh, hit, hit against his omnipotence? No, it's about his moral strength. He cannot contradict himself. He cannot be untrue. I can, you can, the greatest philosophers can, the greatest scientists can, the greatest of men and the greatest of women can and do contradict themselves all the time, but our God cannot because of his great strength because of his greatness and the power of his nature. So, so uh, abilities presuppose barriers. Uh, Frame says that, abil- that abilities must overcome. There is no barriers that needed to be overcome. There is no preventers here. Uh, God is faithful. God is righteous. God is rational. God is, God, God is knowledgeable. God is wisdom. And we will not find any flaw in him in those regards. This is not an inability. There is a problem with our words when we, when we, because we have to use the word, God cannot deny himself. We have to use that word cannot. We have to use a word that that describes an inability. But in truth, this is not a matter of inability. This is a matter of power. No one's faithful like our God. No one's true like our God. Inability here is not a pejorative. Inability is a description of a greatness of his nature. 
So that's number one. He cannot log- he does not log- logically contradict. Um, he cannot do immoral actions. Another thing Jimmy just said, right? <laughs> he cannot lie. How many times does it say that in the Bible? Uh, two or three times it says it directly. God who cannot lie, Titus 1-2, right? Um, he can't do any immoral truth, or he cannot do anything that is immoral. He can't break his covenant. He can't lie. He can't break, break, break his promises any will. He cannot steal. Um, it was Balaam who says, God is not a man that he should lie. And Balaam was, of course, being, uh, speaking rhetorically there, but, it, but it's specifically declared in the Scriptures. God cannot be tempted with evil. God, who is perfect in moral strength, cannot be caused to do anything which he said is wrong. Now, Obviously, God's got prerogatives that you and I do not have. He says to me and to Thomas and to everyone else, really, but I just was pointing at Thomas and looking at Thomas. Uh, Thomas, you can't kill, but life is given and taken by God. So we can't judge God by our laws and accuse God of immorality for taking back what is His, as is the very life that He gave. So there are prerogatives that God has, that, that do not necessarily fall into the realm. But, but the question here, is there inability here because God cannot lie? we got to use that word cannot, but here it's not a pejorative. Here it is about the power of His goodness. Amen? A good God, a true God, will remain true. And how does that work for us? Can you decide right now to stop sinning for the rest of your life and be successful? Come on. No. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> we lack moral power. God does not lack moral power any more than God lacks logical power. The ability to be consistent, the ability to be true, the ability to do what is according to the goodness of his own nature is always with God. There are other things. I've got to hurry. Uh, actions appropriate only for finite creatures. Uh, so God cannot die. All right? God cannot die. God cannot cease to, uh, cease to be. Um, God cannot take medicine, celebrate birthdays, buy shoes. What do I mean? But what if God can do any of those things, it involves incarnation, Him taking on our nature, which happened, by the way. Jesus Christ stepped into humanity and Jesus Christ died as a man. Not as God, but as man. Uh, another thing, I'm trying to hurry because I'm going to kind of long. Actions that deny his own nature. This falls under the realm of denying himself that we just read there in 2 Timothy 2.13. He cannot do that. Um, he cannot deny his own nature. He cannot make another God equal to himself in this idea. You, this is those little philosopher uh, 
uh, things, uh, if he's so powerful, can he make another god just like himself, just, just as much power? No, because that's denying himself. And so on. There, there's many things that could fit under this that we're not going to we're not going to take on, um, take on right now. Even God cannot perform these things that deny His very nature. So, if He makes another God equal to Him in power, what does that mean? He's limited in power. He's denied some uh, denied a truth about Himself. Uh, but here again, this is not a pejoric of inability. This is, he is this maximally great being, this maximally powerful being. There is no other power that can match his power. And therefore, he cannot, he cannot change his eternal plan. This is, I think, the bigger thing that Brother Jimmy was talking about a second ago. He does not deny his covenant. Why is it that you and I can turn to uh, John chapter 10 and find such comfort in little phrases like, and they shall never perish? Why is it that you and I draw such comfort out of that? Because we know that our God is a covenant-keeping God. And what he said, he will do. Uh, God cannot change. Uh, we, we, you, you'll get philosophical stuff in debate, if you listen to debates on some of these issues about whether or not God can change past events and so on and so forth. Is he able to do that? Why, and if so, why, if he can't, why not? Well, because God has done what he has done, and he's not going to change what he has willed. All right, the big one. We kind of danced around it. Can God make a stone so big he cannot lift it? That's a famous paradox beloved by many philosophers, and it presents this logically contradictory action. Uh, But it's not really a formal contradiction here. And the real problem with this, because we can talk about, okay, it's it's contradictory so God couldn't do it or he cannot deny himself. But that's the big issue is God cannot, going back to number three, cannot do actions that are appropriate to finite creatures alone. God's not a man. For instance, my grandpa built houses. It's possible that my grandpa was, I mean, he was of average strength, but I mean, he could pick up, he could pick up a barbell or two if he wanted to. But he, can, he could honestly build something that he could not lift. But God is not you. I don't build much of anything, and everything I've ever built collapsed after a while. <laughs> Uh, don't don't laugh. I mean, some God, some people God hasn't given the ability to do things with His hands, and that's me. Uh, but I could probably make something that I couldn't lift. But God can't. Whatever He whatever He creates, He has power over because He's God and not man. So. I, I'm going to stop there. I, I hope this was a blessing to you to try to introduce this subject. We're going to talk about omnipotence in the Scripture, omnipotence, his God's omnipotence and redemption, and we're going to have to get into some stuff that's a little uncomfortable, like uh, God, God uh, bringing his decrees to pass and things of that nature. But for now, we, we ha- I think we have a good definition of omnipotence and a good defense of those who want to kind of poke holes in 
the logic of omnipotence. Uh, any questions or complaints or grievances? Yes, sir. Uh, no, not specifically, other than those that we just read. I mean, um, he, it, what it describes, what, what, how it describes God is God, all power is God's. There is no power that belongs independently to you or me or to uh, the President of the United States. What did, what did he say to Pilate? When he stood before Pilate, he says, you would have no power at all unless it was given to you of God. Or what, or what Paul said to the, what, to the philosophers at Mars Hill. In him you live, in him you move. There, there's the power part. I can lay, raise my... Well, how, is that an independent ability for me to be able to raise my hand? No, it came from God. Right? I'm not, I'm not getting into like free will and all that stuff. I'm just talking about the ability for me to even raise my hand came from God. I didn't have that power in and of myself. Um, and this is a far greater than, than, uh, than uh, Aristotle's unmoved mover. Uh, but because in him we live, we move, we have our being, and that God is ultimately appointed a time in which we must all stand before him. Uh, so, so it's far greater than anything Aristotle ever came up with. But yeah, I mean, there is no power that it belongs to any of us to do anything. If God doesn't uphold me, then I can do nothing. Or what Jesus said about the, in the parable of the, uh, of the vine, without me, you can do some things. No, no, you could do nothing. There's absolutely nothing you can do without me. And I'm thinking of what I, I've been listening to a lot of uh, Bonson here lately. Um, and um, he keeps making this point about people who deny God or people who, who, who reject God. Uh, and he gives this, uh, he gives this uh, picture of, of a, a child can be sit on their parents' lap and slap their parents and uh, their, their father in the face. But they can only do that because their father's holding them. That's it. So you see all these people, uh, well, God's this, and they're attacking the idea of God, and they're only doing that because they have the ability to reason because God gave them ability to reason. Uh, there, there's nothing that we have that does not come from him. Does that make sense? I don't know if that's answering. I mean, so there's no specific verse that says he's more powerful. No, there is no power outside of his. Uh, and that's, the, that's the, the clear declaration of Scripture from beginning to end. Philosophically speaking, that, that we, we, cannot attract, we cannot attribute independent power belonging to anything outside of God. I hope that answered. Any, any other grievances or complaints? Clear as mud? All right, we got about 10 minutes before the second hour. <laughs>